just to be together with brothers and sisters in Christ and to be able to share your word with your people, Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord. I pray that your spirit will lead me uh, uh, in this message, Lord, to be pleasing to you. I pray that you'll give me the words to say and that your spirit will just guide us. And also, Lord, that, that this message will bring pleasure to your people, help them grow in their faith, draw them closer to you. That's where the pleasure comes from. So I praise you and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to uh, bring you word. We pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. I think a couple weeks ago I asked you if anybody uh, has heard of uh, Pastor David Jeremiah. You know, and David Jeremiah is, uh, well, anyway, he's one, of, he's one of my favorite pastors. And, uh, and that's not because we're about the same age, but he just, he's just a great guy. And uh, he shared a story I'm going to share with you just very briefly. And the story's about an unassuming man by the name of Bob Dyer. And what set Bob, sets him apart was that in 2019, he graduated from Northeastern Illinois University at 90 years old. Stop and think about that, 90 years old. He was the oldest recorded graduate of that university. I mean, how many people at 90 years old are getting advanced degrees? It's amazing. So this, he's a, his wife had passed away. They had children. He's got children, grandchildren, now great-grandchildren. And he made a comment. He said, that why? Because... He, he has this desire to learn. And I want to talk about that today, a desire to learn the Word of God and to learn more about God. And he said, and I quote, Education is always a plus, and we can never have too much of it. I thought I knew a lot of things, and I found out there was a lot I did not know. This also applies to God knowledge. The more we grow in our faith, the more we realize what we don't know about the faith. Isn't that the truth? The more we are in Christ, the more we realize what we don't know. I've been a, a pastor for so many years, and I've been a Christian longer than I've been a pastor, and it's amazing to me, as much as I and as you do as well, I realize, golly, there's so much. There's so much more that God has for each and every one of us. Isn't it amazing that you can take a passage of, uh, in the Bible and you can read it and God will give you something in that passage, that truth. He'll give you a nugget there and then you can read that passage. A week later, he'll give you another truth, another nugget. So it, it's interesting when, when pastors or whatever people are preaching or bringing the message, that a particular passage can take on another meaning if you heard the same, uh, you know, you heard another message on that same passage two or three weeks later. God is so amazing. And there's so much that we need to, to know. And so I want us to hang in there uh, for the next few minutes because we're going to be talking about just that. I want to read from 2 Peter 1, 13-14. I think, Peter said, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the 
in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon be put aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Peter knew that he was running out. His time was running out. He was going to die. And Second Peter really communicates his last communication before he was to be martyred for, for Jesus Christ. So you can imagine that he's writing this knowing that he's going to die. And he's writing, he's, so you will remember. I'm writing this so you remember. Knowledge is so, so important, isn't it? Isn't it? Amen. And then if you look at, 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 at 2 Peter, you'll find the key word is knowledge in this whole book. And Peter's reference to knowledge was not limited to those people in his day. Okay? but is also relevant in our time as well. So this morning, I, have, I put together a few thoughts I'm going to share with you, and these thoughts about pertaining to knowledge, God's knowledge, and how it fits in with us and, 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 and the Word of God. And my first thought is, you don't have to be a genius. Second Peter 1, 2-4. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God, of Jesus Christ our Lord, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter was saying Jesus' divine power will supply all of our needs, everything that we'll ever need, even help us overcome the forces of evil of this world. How? According to his promises. But there is a condition to that. As we grow in his knowledge, As we grow in his knowledge, there is a condition. We cannot grow in faith if we're not growing in his knowledge. That's why you have preaching. That's why you have Bible studies. That's why you have small group ministries, etc. It's always growing in the knowledge of Christ. That's so important. I keep saying that because I know many of you, it's like preaching to the choir. You say, yeah, we know that. We know that. It's good, like Paul said, it's good to remind ourselves to keep the main thing the main thing. We can't do that without his word. Now, I don't know. I, we, we put the scriptures up on the screen. Some, watch this, uh, look at the screen. Some are reading your Bibles. They're following along in your translation or whatever. That is super. That is great. Peter, that would put a smile in his face to see that. That is why it is so, so important that we connect in that way. Have you met someone... I had a, a good pastor friend of mine. I shared with him. He's really my mentor. And uh, I remember when he was uh, going, to, going to be ordained, he asked me to be a part of his ordination and also a part of his board, his accountability board. And 
Wayne is, is such a gifted man. He's gifted in the pulpit. He's really, he's an evangelist is what he is. And uh, he basically learned, he was a self-learner. He read the word. He took some courses or whatever, but he never graduated from a college. He never graduated from seminary. And I think for, for a while that bothered Wayne. It bothered him. And so I talked to him about that. He said, hey, brother. I said, you don't need all of that. I'm not saying it's wrong. Of course it's right. I said, but you, you don't need all of that to be a pastor. You don't need to have all those degrees to be anointed to be used by God. You just need to be faithful and obedient to your call. You know, isn't that true? How many people do we know? I, I look out here, and many of you are so gifted in the Bible. You know the Word of God. And that is wonderful. We applaud that. One of our best friends, my wife's best friend, was absolutely such a student of the Bible, and she never took one class. Not one seminary class, not one Bible uh, course or whatever. And she's extremely gifted in the Word because God has given her that gift. You know? So we need to see that. We need to understand that. It's not sometimes, I think church that look too much if they think of a degree. Now, coming from a Presbyterian background, I'm just saying, that was very much a, a part of our process. You had to be educated. Almost to a fault. You had to be educated. And there's nothing wrong with that. But golly, I'm thinking to myself, we need a balance here. There has to be a balance of the education and the heart. So we'll be talking a lot about that today, education and the heart. You have another hour and a half? That's what we have, if that's okay. All right. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, and 29, and listen to this, because who is our master teacher? Jesus. Jesus is our master teacher. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, you know, take that yoke, that heavy burden, something that's just bringing you down, just, just overwhelming you. And he said, basically, he's saying, lay it at my feet. Lay it at my feet. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus invites us to place our burdens again at his feet. So we can learn and experience just how, how gentle and humble of heart he is. It is there that we find his rest and his peace. He says, I'm gentle, I'm humble, so just come to me. There you will find my rest and my peace. That leads us to number two, be a disciple. John 8, 31 through 32. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you'll be my disciples. Then you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In the New Testament, disciple and, and Christian, those terms, really, they go together. Don't they? They to be a disciple really means learner. You are a learner. And so you take a look back in the ancient world, and in Jesus' day, what did he do? He gathered his disciples, 12 of them. He handpicked them. And basically he said, you're going to be my apprentice, all of you. 
and you're going to learn from me. And it's going to take time, it's going to take a while, but you're going to learn from me. But it starts right here. It starts being under Jesus, under his authority, under his knowledge, under his power. That's what he did. And what was, what was happening was they didn't realize it, but he was preparing them for his ministry, for their ministry in him. Okay? So, I'm thinking of another, another analogy here. I think of the ancient world, and it's amazing if you study all this religion, philosophy, and all the history and so forth, that a disciple was not just uh, related to being a Christian, though they go hand in glove. But they're also a disciple in the ancient world was teachers. It was teachers like rabbis or scholars or philosophers. What they would do is they would, they would invite people to follow them for this reason, to, to give them knowledge. And so the idea was for the student to absorb the knowledge of the teacher. And we see that, really, don't we, again, in Jesus as calling his disciples uh, just for that reason. So that is very important for us to understand. Uh, and I think Peter understood discipline from his days with Jesus. Let's look at Matthew four eighteen through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, I love this passage, he saw two brothers, Simon Peter, Simon, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. From that moment on, they followed Jesus everywhere. They followed Jesus along dusty roads as he healed the sick and proclaimed the kingdom of God. They followed Jesus on hillsides when as he taught and performed that you know, miraculous miracles of feeding thousands of people. They followed Jesus even in the boats, in the fishing boats, even during the storms. They were there. They were there with him. They followed Jesus Christ to a wedding where he turned water into wine as they listened as they listened to Jesus' teachings, they grew. They grew in love. They grew in knowledge. They grew in truth in Him. See? That's what we're called to do. That's how we, by learning, we grow in our truth. We grow in our knowledge of Him. And to me, you know, that, is so, that is so important. That has been my background. See, God, that's what God does with us. He gives, he's given us the Word of God. And where does it say in the Word of God that I have to be in your interpreter? Where does it say in the Word of God that only the pastor can teach? The Word of God. It doesn't say that. The Bible, that's why we have Reformed theology. You know? That's why the church broke away from whatever. I'm going to be very cool, Ron. I won't be throwing out names. But anyway, that's Reformed theology. It's we are saved by grace. God has given us the abilities to read his word. Amen? And amen. Okay, number... Let's go to number three. From the head to the heart. This is where I want to spend some time. 
Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may what? May abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to, to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless unto the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer was that they and us may live full lives to tell the difference between right and wrong by growing in Jesus' righteousness. Abounding in his love. He said, abounding in his love and knowledge. Paul was talking about the head and the heart. And we need to talk about that. The head and the heart. The head being the intellectual part of the faith. The heart being the emotional, the love part. And they go together. You cannot separate them. The Bible never tries to separate them. They go together. You hear me, church? They go together. And here's, I've seen this. I'm not saying I know it all, but through the years of my experience, I see people from different, different denominations, different religious persuasions on, on, on talking about knowledge and talking about emotionalism. You know, for some, they say, oh, they're too emotional. Oh, they're, they're, they're way out there. You know, they... They believe in the miracles. They do this. They do that. Ah, they're just kind of they're just kind of goofy in my in my world. And then you have those people that they claim to be goofy. They say these people are so are so heavenly minded that or they're no earthly good. They're so much they're so caught up in their knowledge that they forget the other part. Who's right and who's wrong? Both of them are wrong. They need to they need to go together. That is so important that we understand that you can't. God never created us to stay on that mountaintop. If you've had mountaintop experiences in the Lord, praise God for that. Embrace those experiences. But you're never called to stay there. You can't stay that high. Sooner or later, you have to come down from the mountain. That is so important for us to see. You need to come down from the mountain. We all do. You know, I was, I was born again, and I was filled with the Spirit of God, and then I was thrust into seminary. So I went from that end of it right into the knowledge end of it. And it was kind of interesting because it kind of, it, it kind of was a transition for me. But one thing I, I, I learned as I, as I processed through my education was that head knowledge is important. And when I first went, my friends, I thought, no, 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 I don't need all this head knowledge. But head knowledge is, is important. If it isn't, then why did God create us with brains? We're not brain dead. God didn't create us that way. He created us to learn and to grow. He did. I think I shared with you this story, maybe part of it at least. One of my, when I was in seminary, I was, had the privilege 
of taking all my New Testament theology under, at the time, considered one of the top three theologians in the world. His name is Bob Gooley. You probably never heard of him. Bob passed away very early, really, uh, in the 80s uh, from a heart attack. But Gulick was, was considered, he, his, he did a treatment on the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to read a treatment on the Sermon on the Mount, then you better get your commentaries at one side and your Bible, whatever, because he, he will take you on a journey. It is very, very, you know, up there. And, and so Bob Gulick's Sermon on the Mount, the best treatment even today as far as actual uh, in-depth study that was his. That was, that was Bob. But see the thing about Bob, and he shared this story when I was in one of his classes. And it was so cool because when I was in, back in the day, we didn't have computers. Luke, we didn't. We didn't have the computers. We did the typewriters. And that was it. So back in the day, when, when I was in his class, or any class, I learned to, as during the, if the professor was, was lecturing, I'd be taking notes. That's what we did. But when I was in Bob's class, I got so enamored by his knowledge that I brought in recorder and started recording my lectures, you know, in his class. And what struck me about Bob was here, I'm, I'm not idolizing him. No, not at all. But I respected and admired his credentials and his knowledge. He was a brilliant scholar. And I praise God to be able to have the opportunity to be under his feet of authority as my teacher, as my professor. But then he shared his personal testimony, and you'll love this. Here we are, I'm sitting in this class with, you know, first you think these professors are eggheads, you know. But Bob told his story, his personal testimony. I make it very short. His dad was a fundamental believer. He said, and I don't discourage that at all. He said, my dad believed that the Bible says it, it's true. He said, Bob said, I believe that too. But, he said, when you come to, for example, the, the Gospels, if you look at, look at the Christmas story, for example, if you look at different Gospels, they give it a little different spin, don't they? They give a little different spin. And his dad would say, Bob, he'd say, you don't deny that. It is what it is, what it is. It happened this way, this way. No, it happened that way. And he said, Dad, he said, I cannot, I, I believe he said, but I cannot grow and learn by just taking things for at face value. And he said, why, why did, uh, uh, why did uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, why did they tell a different story? He said, my mind is taking me there. And so Bob Gulick said, as he journeyed in his faith, as he went on to school and seminary, and, and he graduated from Hamburg, Germany, and in, in theological studies, whatever. He said, the more he grew in his faith, the more he realized just how real Jesus is. He said, instead of drawing me away from the faith, he said, the knowledge I acquired drew me closer to Christ. This is the guy that was renowned in my class. I'm going, whoa! He's given a personal testimony about how important it is to study. He probably did it for us because... Oh, he was tough. I don't want to get into that. I mean, his, his exams were absolutely brutal. I'm not complaining. God, Bob, he's a wonderful man, though. Just absolutely wonderful. So my point with all of this is when you combine head knowledge and, and heart knowledge, need to be combined. You need to be learning about Christ, using your mind, 
and with your heart, interpret with your heart. You can't let your heart, you know, you can't set it aside. Your heart needs to be in there. That's my argument with some of my brothers and sisters or my other denominations say, you've, you've forgotten the heart. You've got all the head stuff, but it's, it's staying right here. It's not going that 18 inches or whatever it is from the head to the heart. It, it has to go. It has to go here. It has to go into your heart in order for what? For it to bear fruit. Does that make any sense? You know, that is so, so important. And so that's why you have also this big division between some of the mainline churches and some of the more conservative evangelical churches for that reason alone. I know that to be true. I was in that one for 15 years. That is, that is truth. So what do I say? I don't want to get in. I'm going to say if anybody that's in a church that's not preaching Christ, that's not believing and being born again, etc., run. Get out. If you don't believe in repentance, get out. Get out of there because that's not biblical. That's not true. Amen? No, that's all I'm going to I'm not going to wrap and throw any denominations under the bus, but it's really true. I... Uh, I probably need to be done with this. It's 11 o'clock, but, you know, it's, it was important to me because I was going through it. And by no means am I, am I trying to make myself look good or whatever. That's not my point here. My point is just the education, but finding that balance. In my, in my era, when as a Presbyterian, I was going up and I finished my, my MDiv degree, and then after a period of time, somebody said, are you going to go after your, your doctorate? And I said, why? See, everybody, seemed like everybody in the world in that denomination, they were going after their doctorates. You know why? Because it's a nice title. Doctor, pastor, so-and-so. Doctor, pastor, so-and-so. I said, why don't you go after your, your, your doctorate? I said, no. I said, I don't need that. Why do I need that? I don't need the title. I don't want the title. I said, I've had a lot of classroom academics in, in theology, all that stuff. I said, why do I need it? Tell me, do I need this? Is that going to make me a better pastor? I said, you're looking at the knowledge. You're not looking at the heart. I need heart. I need heart. So anyway, I never did. I never went back. I went, I've never been into the titles. I just had to do what I, I needed to do in order to be the pastor that God called me to be. Amen? And amen. Luke 24, 32. I'm going to talk about hitting the book. That's number four. Hitting the book. This is, this is a pas, uh, passage I used um, a couple weeks ago, I believe. Luke 24, 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we walked while he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. What was happening here? After Jesus was resurrected, he confronted two of his disciples. And he opened the scriptures to them. Jesus was very intent on his, on his disciples knowing the Old Testament. The word of God is his voice to us. You know, we've heard people say, you know, uh, God speaks to us. God speaks through his word, you know, through his spirit. And so that's important for us to see. 
that I have, I have, again, I have textbooks. I have, I have so many textbooks from college and seminary. I, in my basement, I'm telling you, I got a, uh, we have a storeroom. I have boxes and boxes and boxes, literally, of all of these textbooks. And, and those of you have gone through your process, maybe the same thing applies to you. But the overwhelming majority of those books, I never, I've never opened since they were a course requirement for study and reading. Why? Why? Are you, are you with me, or have, or have I lost you? And so, so my point with all of this is, I want you to consider that the Bible must be a daily reading. It's not like that in those textbooks where you just have them for a season, for a, a semester, then you put them away. Why would you want to read them again? But the Bible, we need to read on a regular, regular basis, don't we? Because the Bible... Never, never gets old or outdated. It never does. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not criticizing anyone here. I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable because you know, I know most of you are in the Word of God, and I say praise you for that. But if you're having difficulty being in the Word of God on a regular basis, then I would encourage you maybe... Maybe, maybe your Bible is collecting a little bit of dust on that end table and the bookshelf. Then take it down. Pick it up. Blow it off. Blow that dust off. And open up the pages and start reading. There you will find blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. You know, I heard that someone once said, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Think about that. Think about that. Going on to number five. Do we hear this last one? Yay? Uh, Do we hear an amen? Number five. Your survival resource. Psalm 119, verses 105 and 106. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. How many of you have flown in an airplane? Most of us, right? A lot of people have flown. Okay. Okay. For those of you who are flying, what is the first thing? You get into your seat, you know, you put your, you know, your luggage or whatever on the overhead, you slam it, you sit down, and you're ready. What happens next? The pre-flight instructions, right? So you're there, and so you have the, you know, the, uh, the flight attendant is in before all the people and giving the instructions that, you know, how to fasten the seatbelt, blah, 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 blah. And the oxygen gymnastic is going to come down, how to put it on, et cetera, help the other person, so on and so forth. Then we get into the, the floating device. You know, look, where's the floating device? It's under the seat or whatever it is. And if you have to pull it out, this is how you put it on. And then they show you, they demonstrate how, how that goes, how that's happening. And then they say, okay, you need to know where the exit doors are for the emergency, just in case. And so they show you where the exit doors are. And if you're, you know, if you're capable and you're right in that seat where the exit door is, if you're not capable physically to help people, will you please 
ask you maybe move to another seat. We'll replace somebody that's capable of handling that kind of a situation, case of emergency. Now, after having said all that, how many of you honestly can say that you weigh on that flight attendant's every word? How many of you can say that? Or you say, excuse me, I want to take notes on how, what I'm supposed to do. Okay, number one, step one, two. We don't. Most of us, we might casually look and say, yeah, okay, okay. But we're doing other things and, and so on and so forth. But that is their, what they call their survival resource. You know, just in case something happens, it's a survival resource. The, psalm, the psalmist reminds us the word is our survival resource. It instructs and lightens the way to escape the spiritual darkness and the temptations of life. But we must make a choice, and we must read it. But not only are we to read it, we're to apply it. That's the difference, isn't it? You can read it. God's given you brain. He says, okay, you read it. You know some of the truths. Now, in order for it to come alive, then you need to apply it. You know, I call that wisdom, applied wisdom. You read the Bible, and then you seek to apply it to your life. All I can say is you don't need to be a genius to grow in the knowledge of God. Just be a disciple. Be a learner. And, and it's never, you can never say, ever, ever say that you reached a point where you can no longer learn. Mm-mm. Be a learner. You know, let God teach you through his spirit. Be a learner. And then, using both your head and your heart through the Holy Spirit, read and apply the word. Once you do all of those things, then life becomes a lot easier, doesn't it? You know, if you're in the word and you're going in faith, isn't life a lot easier for us? Does that mean that, that we're going to be trouble-free? No. It just means that we have Jesus that can help us when we're heavy laden as we read the Word. That's it. That's pretty much all I have, John. That's it, pal. Turn the lights out, we go home. No, what that does, it leads us to, as we come together for communion, for me at least, it makes this idea of knowledge and, and emotions to go together. Remember, Peter was dying. This is so important to him. He said, I want the people to know. God's laying this on my heart. They need to know how important this is, how important knowledge is. How can we go without the knowledge? You know, amen? So, well, that's what I have in terms of, of knowledge. I encourage all of us. I, as we prepare for communion, I know that most of you here have your disciplined time. We're in the Word. I've talked with some of you personally about your personal journey and your individual personal uh, devotion and your, and your... Share that with others. It's not in a bragging way. You just share what God has done for you and how you learn and grow in His knowledge. It doesn't matter how many minutes you put into it. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, I don't have time. I'm so busy, I just don't have time. And I say then you need to find time because if you want your life to go in a better fashion, then you need to find time to be with your Lord. I know, know, know about you, but I cannot, I cannot 
begin my day without my devotions and my time with our Lord. In prayer, in devotion, in study. And that is my routine. I do not do anything. I put everything on hold until I can, if I'm working out even, I'll even be praying or studying or in my head or going over my scripture memorizations. That's why it's so important that we do this. Find it for yourself. If you do that, God will bless you. He will bless you abundantly. Lord, we praise you and thank you so much, Lord. I thank you for who you are and for your love. And Lord Jesus, help us to know you more. Help us, Lord, and convict us to read your word and to apply its truth, Lord. When we do, you will make our path straight. That's why I pray for all my brothers and sisters here today. Anyone who's going through a problem, a situation, whatever it is, Lord, help them to draw back to you. Open up your pages as your spirit leads them. Find those passages that will guide them, encourage them in truth and knowledge as they grow in you. Jesus, you are emphatic. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That's all of us living in this world that we live in. You're calling us, Lord. Help us to listen, to read, and to love. In Christ's name. You know, I, I, I really...